good morning. Good to see you today. Thank y'all for being here. I know that it's, uh, we had a lot of things stacked against us this morning with the uh, Omicron out there, and we had you know bad weather and rain, and so I know some of us couldn't be here. But for those of us that they aren't, I know they're joining, watching us online. But for those of you who are here today, I think you'll get a special blessing from being here today. So I'm so glad uh, you are here to today. Today we're looking at passages of scripture, Jesus's first. Miracle, where he turned water into wine, or the Southern Baptist version, where he turned water into Welch's. And that's uh, what we're looking at today. But, but there's a story of a doctor who spoke to a patient, and he said to his, his patient, I have bad news for you, and I have worse news. And so the patient said, well, let's go ahead and we'll, 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 let's have it. Let's start with the bad news first. And the doctor said, well, the bad news is that you only have 24 hours to live. And the patient said, good, gosh, I just can't imagine what, what could be worse than that. I'll, what's the worst news? Doctor, doctor said, well, I forgot to tell you this yesterday. So, so, <laughs> that would be a problem, right? And our world is filled with problems. And many times we feel like we don't have a way out of those problems. Amen. That would certainly be one where you would be trusting on the Lord. But no problem is too big of a problem for God to handle. No problem is too big of a problem for God to work in your life. And many times our problems are just opportunities for God to do his work, for God to be glorified. So today we're looking at Jesus' first recorded miracle, which in the context came about in this idea of being a problem being an issue. It wasn't a life or death situation, but it was a problem in the immediate context of the people who experienced it. Jesus was a guest at a wedding, and the wedding party was about to suffer a great embarrassment. Again, it wasn't a life or death issue. It was just an embarrassment. It was an inconvenience, but Jesus still helped. He still used that as an opportunity and their problem became God's opportunity to display his greatness. John chapter 2, starting in verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. And when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to his servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, which had now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana 
in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. And after this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. We know that there are some that cannot be here. They have problems in their lives. They have sicknesses. They have worries. They have obstacles preventing them from being here. Well, we know that there are people across the whole southeast, our state even, the Midlands, the upstate, whose churches' services have been, been canceled, at least in person today. Many people can't be where they want to be today. So we thank you that we are able to be here. We're able to watch online. We're able to be in person. We're able to worship you in spirit and in truth. And Lord, we thank you that our problems are just opportunities for you to work, Lord. Opportunities for you to bring healing. Opportunities for you to display your power. To remove obstacles, Lord. So, Father, as I preach this message today, I pray that you're with me, as you always are. That my words are your words, that you speak through me, that you fill me with your spirit, and that we all hear what it is you would have us to hear this morning. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to give you today three truths. Three truths about how your problems are opportunities for God. Three truths about how your problems are opportunities for God. Number one, the first truth is that Jesus will listen to your problems. Jesus will listen to your problems. Verse 1 says that on the third day... There was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. Now, the third day is another way of saying two days later from the preceding section here, which would have been John chapter 1. And in the preceding section, Jesus called Philip and he called Nathaniel to be his disciples. So Cana was the home of Nathanael. So Jesus was already in this town where he had called some to be his disciples. And then he gets invited to this wedding feast, verse 3. But when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. So it wasn't uncommon in this biblical times for a wedding celebration to last as long as one week. Can you imagine? So when you're invited to a wedding, like it's not just on going for a 45-minute ceremony and a reception. It is a week-long ordeal or ordeal thing. <laughs> that was a slip. The, the, the feast part of the wedding would have been the culmination of the wedding week. So to, to run out of wine uh, would have been a big no-no. It would have been embarrassing for the family. It'd be like if you'd been to a wedding and they had run out of food. That would have been kind of an, an embarrassment or something, or, or just something didn't go right maybe at the reception. So Mary knew that this would have been kind of a, a, a black eye on the wedding. So she approaches her son, who she knew was special. She knew who he was. And it seems that she had learned to come to Jesus with her problems. 
Well, she should. And so she does here. And that's the thing about Jesus and our problems, is that he is accessible. We can go to him with them. Hebrews 4.16 says this, Let us then, uh, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Scripture tells us that in our time of need, we will find mercy, we will find grace at the throne of God. That's His throne is a throne of grace. That's what he gives us. Because of Jesus, we, we don't receive judgment at his throne. We don't receive condemnation at his throne. If we know Jesus, we receive grace. We receive help. God listens to us. He is accessible to us. A husband and a wife were at a party, and they were talking with some friends, and the subject of marriage counseling came up. And the husband said, oh, we'll never need marriage counseling. And the friend's like, really, ever? Just not even have an issue every now and then to kind of get sorted out? He said, oh, no, we'll never need that. My wife and I, we have a great relationship. And he went on to explain, he said, she was a communications major in college. So she has no problem communicating. And I majored in theater arts. So she communicates well, and I just act like I'm listening. But see, when we go to God with our problems, he doesn't just act like he listens. He's not just faking it. He does listen. He doesn't just act. He listens to us. Look at Psalm 50, 15. God says, call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. God says when we ask for his help in our day of trouble, he will deliver us he will deliver us and when God delivers us it's for our good but it's also for his glory to be displayed Jesus actually listens to our problems secondly not only does he listen because that's not enough he will help us with our problems it's one thing to listen to someone it's another thing to help them Sometimes we help without listening. Both are good. Someone comes to you, sometimes you just want to fix a problem without listening. But you need to listen. And if you can help, help. And that's what Jesus does for us. Look at verse 4. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. When we read this in our 2022 context, we see Jesus calling his mother woman. Uh, it seems like it's a, it's a term of disrespect, but it, it's not. The way it's written back then, it would be like saying madam or, or mother or something like that. It was a, a formal way of speaking. And, and Jesus knew she was asking him to do something that only he could do. That was Jesus-like. But he, but he answers that it wasn't time for him to start his public ministry. He wasn't going to start it at this wedding you know, with, with, where they've run out of wine. And he lets her know that, but he does it anyway. He declines it, but then he goes ahead and he, he does it because he loves his mother and he undoubtedly loves the people. He is a helper. He is going to help. Look at Psalm 124.8. Our help is in the name of the Lord 
who made heaven and earth. See, when we ask for God's help, we're not just asking for a person to help us. We're asking for someone who created the world that we live in. He created everything that we live in, that we know even exists. That's who we're asking help, and he will help us. Our help is in the name of the Lord. No one else we can completely trust fully to help us like God himself. Look at Jeremiah 32, 17. Jeremiah says, Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Now, we sing this sometimes. It's a hymn, a song. Jeremiah says, that, that it is you who made the heavens and the earth. Nothing is too hard for you to do. Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet because he cried so much. <laughs> he, he, his circumstances were so bad. Yet even Jeremiah, who went through bouts of what we would call depression, intense depression, he still trusted in God. He never... He, he never uh, completely abandoned this idea that God still could do what he wants to do. David said the same. Look at Psalm 54, 4. He says, Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. God is our helper. He is the one who helps. So he, he listens and he helps. He, he upholds our life. Verse 5, so his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Just whatever he says to do, do it. It seems that in some way Mary was involved with the, 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 what we would call the catering aspect of the reception. We don't know if she was over it or if she was just kind of uh, involved in it, but somehow it was her area. So it wouldn't just be an embarrassment to the family. It would be an embarrassment to Jesus' family and his mother. And she didn't know what Jesus would do. But she knew that he would do the right thing. She knew that he would do the thing that needed to be done, the best thing, the right thing. So she says, do whatever he tells you to do, because that will be the right thing. Isn't that something to think about? We're looking for wisdom or advice from the Lord. If we listen to that, just do whatever he says. But he said a lot already. Do, do whatever God tells you to do. We need to know, we need to be able to know that, that God knows the right response, the right form of help even, in every situation. There's no doubt that Mary knew Jesus could help since she raised him. And she had an intimate knowledge of who Jesus was. And she knew that he could help in a way that only he could, so she went to him. And the more that we know Jesus, the more that we know that he is willing and available to help us in our time of need, the more that we know him. And sometimes we have issues that maybe we feel like the Lord is not concerned with. Think about it. All these horrible things happening in the world, and the Lord doesn't, he didn't care about my wedding. He didn't care about this party. Well, yeah, he does. Again, this wasn't a life or death situation. This is just a wedding, a celebration. Sometimes I think we, we don't pray to God because we feel like my need isn't really important enough, isn't large enough, isn't big enough. 
An embarrassing wedding is something that he took time for. In fact, it became his first recorded miracle. God has this ability to bring himself glory and bring us good through his works. So we need him to ask his help in all areas of our life. And one of the small activities I've recently started to do that I've never done before, like at least officially all the time, is try to keep a, like a prayer journal of sorts. And I can do it on my phone. Pull my phone out, make a note. And, and what I've been doing is, I, is I'll write down the prayer and I'll put the date on it so I know when it was. And then I, I'll kind of just tuck it away. And I'll, I'll go back maybe the next day and look at it. And I have several in there right now I've been praying about. And then I just kind of just give it to the Lord. I, I try not to think about it too much during the days. Now, for years, I've gone through the day praying about things all day long. You know, just praying about certain issues all day. But what I've realized is as I'm praying about them all day, I, I'm, I'm really not praying about them. I'm kind of worrying about them. It's a fine line between praying and worrying. You know? Now, the Bible says to, to fervently pray, to pray, to pray and, and, and to, to never stop praying. But I was having a hard time turning the page from praying about something, worrying about something, to just giving it over to the Lord. So this, this little prayer journal has helped. So I, I, I'm writing things down and putting it in there. And then maybe late in the day, I'm like, oh, yeah, what was I praying? I look at it, I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, the Lord worked that. Or he, he did this. And so I can see how the, word, the Lord has been working. So I'm just reminded that, that, that I've prayed about something, and I've given it to the Lord. One of my prayers this week, uh, today is John David's third birthday today. So he's three years old today so if you see him running around you can tell him happy birthday but one of my prayers this week is what was that God would, would keep him healthy for his birthday we wanted to be able to have a, a birthday for him today and as of this morning he's healthy uh, but that was one of my prayers and instead of kind of just worrying about it all week which would, would have happened if I hadn't written it down I just kind of gave it to God and trusted that God would take care of it that doesn't mean that I didn't think about it the rest of the week or I didn't continue to pray about it but I was able to kind of move on and do other things, not be paralyzed with my thoughts. And that's what I want us to understand with Jesus being the helper. Mary, Mary says, do whatever he tells you. There's no, there's no knowledge of him going back, her going back to Jesus over and over again. Did you, do, did you help him yet, Jesus? She asked him one time. She told the servants to do what he said. Because she, she knew he would deliver. Look at Jesus later in his life. Matthew 15 says that a woman in need of healing came to him. Look at Matthew 15, verse 25. But she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs, which seems like a harsh answer. And she said, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. So we see Jesus being someone who continued to help. In this case, he healed. Sometimes we have issues that we may feel like the Lord is not concerned with. But we need to understand that he has the ability to to, to bring himself glory and to bring us good through those needs. So we need to ask his help in all areas because he will help us with our problems. And finally, number three, Jesus will guide us through 
our problems. So he listens, he helps us, and he takes us through them, guides us through them, because we've got to go through it. It's not going to just make our problem disappear usually. Something's got to happen. This is what happens here in this passage. Verse 6, And there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. Now the purpose of the jars, why were there jars there in the first place, were for the guests to rinse their hands kind of ceremoniously and then also to be washed the dishes used for the feast. So they didn't have the, this, this type of plumbing systems that we had uh, where you, you, know, you have clean water. So they had to keep the clean water in these big jars. Right? Verse 7, So Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. This is uh, the, the man in charge. They took it. So these six, six jars are probably about this big or so, really large. And there's six of them. Filled them with water, which would probably take a while. They couldn't just turn the tap on and let it go, you know, they get, go from a well and pour the water in there. And it says they're filled to the brim. You know what we call that in the south? Slap full. Right? And there's no doubt that there was water in there. Right? That's, it was to the brim. And there was enough water to last a while. So he said, go ahead and draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they drew it out, walked over to the master. Verse 9, when the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew it came from the, the jars, the master called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when then people have drunk, then they give them the cheap wine, the poor wine, they can't taste the difference as soon as what he's saying. But you have kept the good wine until the end, until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana and Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Now, we don't know what this wine tasted like. And wine was used for celebratory purposes. We're not going to really get into the whole idea of wine and this kind of thing. But you really had two options to drink in biblical times. There was no sweet tea. There's no Mountain Dew. There was water and there was fermented grapes, right? That's what you had. Some were stronger than others. We don't understand, but, but we, we do know that this wine was not made under the normal fermentation process. God just made it out of thin air. Just created it, right? But it was probably the best thing they had ever tasted because God made it just right and the point of this story is not to say look Jesus drank wine that's not what we're trying to get at the point of this passage is to display that everything God does is glorious everything God does is the best it's the perfect he didn't just save the wedding he made uh, the, the wedding seem like the best wedding ever the master said, this is one of the most incredible things to ever happen at a wedding, which it could have been a disaster. It became an incredible event. Jesus took a problem. Not only did he fix the problem, he blessed the people who had the problem. It became a benefit to them. 
It's not just a miracle for the sake of being a miracle. It was a sign to show just how supreme Jesus was and how everything in him is perfect and glorious and is complete. Verse 12 says he went down to Capernaum afterwards and with his mother. didn't mention his father. Some, many, many people believe his father had died by this point. But he's with his brothers and his disciples and they stayed there for a few days. And this miracle then increased the disciples' faith in Jesus. And that's the overarching purpose of miracles. It's the overarching purpose of them, to increase our faith in God. That's the overarching purpose. Yes, it's to, hurt, it's to heal people. Yes, it's to help people. The overarching purpose of miracles is to increase your faith in who God is, to authenticate the message of the gospel. See, when a wonderful effect of God being glorified is we typically benefit from it. We typically are the beneficiaries. When, when God is glorified, his ultimate goal uh, he's typically helping us in some way. So we see the wedding party getting lauded, getting complimented, but their ultimate glory goes to God. You know, in talking about the glory of God, one scholar says this. He says, in experiencing the glory of God, it's like this. He says, it's the experience that's a little bit like traveling alone. Traveling alone, you're away from the people you love, having no one around with whom we can relax, with whom we can be friendly. And then somebody we know comes home to meet us, maybe in an airport or a railway station or when we finally arrive back home and we see that familiar face for the first time in a while, our hearts are warmed, deeply comforted by this sudden presence of somebody with whom we can truly be ourselves, someone who will give themselves to us. I remember when I was in seminary, I went about two months without seeing my future fiance, who became my wife. We were dating, and she and I saw her there in the airport, the Charlotte airport. And I was coming down the uh, escalator, and I saw her standing right there, and I was all excited, right? Just this, this, this great sight. That's what he's saying. That's what the glory of God is. We experience that glory of God. It's like someone we haven't seen in a while. It's like, man, that's an amazing thing. Wonderful thing. See, God's glory is why he solves our problems. But God's glory, when we experience it, warms our hearts. Brings us closer to him. That's why when, we have, when we're here in worship and a song touches us, a sermon touches us, whatever it is, a prayer. Our heart is warmed because we've experienced God being glorified and draws us closer to him. God is a listener. He is a helper. And he is a guider. Guides us through it. What are you experiencing today? God will listen. What are you experiencing today? God will help. And whatever you're experiencing today, God will guide you through it. But you have to ask him. So today, let's ask God to help us 
through our problems. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for what you do for us in Christ Jesus. Thank you so much for being the God that you are. Or that Jesus' first miracle was at a wedding. And all it did was save a family from embarrassment. Yet it brought glory to that family as it brought glory to you. So, Father, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you so much for how you've saved us. We thank you for the, the gospel message that you sent your son to live this, this life that we can't live, this perfect life, this sinless life. Yet because of our sin, Lord, we put him on the cross where he bore the wrath and the just punishment that we deserve, that he took it for us so that we would not have to. Lord, we thank you for that promise that through his resurrection, that all who place their faith in him will be saved, will not perish, will have everlasting life. And Lord, we thank you for that truth that is eternal. So, Father, as we close our time together today, we thank you that the same God that rescues us from a certain hell is the same God that can help us in our everyday lives. So, Lord, we thank you for that. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.